With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back to the Epstein Chronicles. Day 7 of the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. Just wrapped up a little while ago. And witness Carolyn, who went into a incredibly disturbing account of what happened to her at the hands of Maxwell and Epstein, she took the brunt of the questioning today. She was on the stand for most of the day, and there were some pretty testy moments during the exchanges. As usual, Ghislaine Maxwell's legal team have kept up their full uh, full court press and look to destroy the credibility of each and every witness that gets on the stand. Now, obviously, we're going to get to all of that, but there was also a pretty shocking revelation that came at the end of the day today, and that was the prosecution saying that they're going to be prepared to wrap their case up by this week. Now, remember, this is supposed to be a five to six week trial, according to the court and the prosecutors. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden today, We're looking at it only being two weeks as far as the prosecution goes. You would think that they'd have more up their sleeve. And it just goes right to the point that I've been trying to make forever, to be honest with you, that I have no confidence that the federal government of the United States has any interest in really bringing people who are involved in this to justice. They're throwing a little red meat here, right, folks? Ah, you know, in the interest of appearances, we'll pursue this a little bit. But in reality, if they really wanted to go after these people, if they really wanted to make sure that this all stuck, then this would have been a RICO case. But now, they're using this smaller scope, the 10-year period, and it certainly looks like the prosecution, at least from where I'm sitting, is not doing that great of a job. Now, the the witness testimony has been pretty damning. There's no doubt about it. When you listen to these girls uh, recount what occurred to them, uh, occurred to them um, at the hands of Maxwell and Epstein and their cohorts, it's distressing as hell. But there is so much more here that the prosecution's just leaving in the toolbox. And again, it goes back to the original uh, strategy. Why is it that only these four girls are being brought up as witnesses? We know that this is the same exact thing that occurred the first time around. 
when they impaneled the grand jury down in Palm Beach, they only brought one girl up to testify in front of the grand jury. And what did they do? They destroyed her credibility because she talked to some boys on on MySpace at the time. And she drank and smoked some weed. So all of a sudden, her testimony is not credible. And now fast forward to 2021 and we see the same thing happening. Now, where's all the outrage? You know, you see all of these people who want to march and go crazy and and act the fool whenever they can uh, move the political football. But for something like this, you would think that people would be up in arms. So where is all of the solidarity with Jeffrey Epstein's survivors? I would like to see that same kind of energy put out there. But one thing I have learned in the past, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three years of covering this case and investigating this case is that nobody, perhaps ever when it comes to stuff like this, has been forgotten more than these girls. It has been an absolute travesty from start to finish. And now, just when you think that there's a chance for some of this stuff to come to light, just when you think there's a chance that, you know, the, the, the doors might get blown off of this thing, prosecution talks about resting their case? So, that caught me really off guard, honestly, and I don't know what to think about it. So we'll have to see a, a, a little bit more uh, what comes out in the overnight hours and into the morning about their strategy here. But I don't understand how they can even begin to think about resting their case. So we'll have to see what their strategy is. But as usual, I am not very confident at all, especially considering all of the circumstances surrounding all of it. I told you folks from Jump Street that I'm not confident in Maureen Comey. Why is Maureen Comey, who is also prosecuting uh, Nicholas Tartaglioni, why is she in charge of this case as well? So there's just a lot of things that never made sense to me. They still don't make sense to me. And I, unfortunately, I figured and knew that even after this trial, there would still be way too many questions and not enough answers. Because this trial and the scope of this trial was never large enough. Now, I I honestly don't know if or when we'll ever see any justice at this point, folks. And that's just the, the truth of the matter, as far as I can see it. It's a bit discouraging to hear that the prosecution is ready to uh, uh, close their case. Now, maybe they think they've done enough to get a conviction already. And like I said, the testimony was pretty damning. But with all of the evidence that's available, all of the stuff that's been out there, all of the stuff that we have heard from these survivors about Maxwell and her behavior, you would think that they'd really try and ram the point home. You would think that they would bring a a parade of girls to come out and testify, even if their their testimony doesn't have to do with the actual charges. Wouldn't that be showing that this is the kind of person Maxwell is? Kind of like character witnesses? You saw it with Harvey Weinstein in, in, in a few instances. So, it's very um, disheartening to think that the prosecution is going to be done here. But I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? 
we'll have to see what comes of this and we'll have to see what the next couple of days bring at the very least, because I'm hearing that they're talking about being done on Thursday, arresting their case on Thursday. So one can only imagine what is on deck for tomorrow. Before we get to that, however, why don't we discuss what went down today inside of that courtroom and uh, take a look at some of the proceedings that were, were underway in day seven of the Glenn Maxwell trial. So the trial kicks off pretty much the same way as the other six day ha- the, the other the other six days have with the prosecutors and the defense arguing before the jury even comes in. This time over Jane, the witness who testified previously, and what she told her boyfriend and when she told him it. Judge Nathan decides that uh, if, if the prosecution wants to call him to testify, then they'll have to call him after lunch. Um, after that, there was another sealed sidebar, and then the jury comes out to uh, to get started. So they never ended up bringing this uh, other witness that they were talking about bringing out to talk today, to put under oath and give their statement. So nothing came of that anyway. Uh, Maureen Comey handling things right now uh, as far as the first portion of the the case today. And uh, they continue on with the FBI, FBI agent from yesterday. And evidence is once again provided. The agent was, uh, was asked directly to identify the people in the pictures. And the agent identifies the people in the pictures as Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, These photos are relevant because they were found on CDs from the 2019 raid of Epstein's, and they weren't protected by the NPA from 2005, by the way. And some of these CDs were found uh, in that safe that, you know, we've talked about several times from the raid at Epstein's house when he was arrested the second time around. They found a bunch of stuff in that safe, uh, diamonds, they found money, a fake Saudi Arabian passport, all sorts of things. And Epstein was known to have some cash on hand so he can make, you know, payoffs to his cohorts or for his air quotes, massages, stuff like that. But these CDs were uh, found in 2019 and uh, the photos that were put into evidence were showing Jeffrey Epstein and Maxwell in these photos. Um, Next, the evidence that's uh, put into the court is uh, sealed and prosecution. They give the jurors instructions on where to find that in their binders, the sealed file portion. So uh, pictures are shown of Epstein and Maxwell hugging and in otherwise uh, close poses, the ones that aren't sealed. And after a short cross-examination, the defense was done. So that wrapped it up for the FBI agent who finished off yesterday and started off today. It was about some of the evidence that was procured in the uh, the second raid of Epstein in 2019. So this was an FBI agent who was involved in that raid, who was involved in handling the evidence. And this was somebody who was putting the pieces together to show the connections, obviously, between Maxwell and Epstein. Now, the next uh, witness 
that they call up onto the stand is um, Stephen Flatley, an instructor from Quantico, which is the headquarters of the FBI. And he's in charge of one of their digital departments, reconstructing um, hard drives and stuff like that. Comey goes on to ask Flatley about uh, one of the hard drives that was registered to GMAX and then referred to an email address from Mindspring, Mindspring excuse me, that was Maxwell's. Comey goes on to ask about an email that discussed John, which is interesting because remember, Ghislaine Maxwell used to call Juan, Juan Alessi, John. And when you look at the things that she was talking about in this email, it was obvious that she was talking about Juan Alessi considering what his duties were as far as being Epstein's butler slash housekeeper. So again, shows the ties, right? Shows the connections. Um, she goes on to talk about uh, several things that John did poorly in this email, including a pool deck being dirty and there being no pens. She also went on to complain about massage creams that were left in disarray in Epstein's bathroom. So we know that Juan Alessi has already testified about the bathroom, the sex toys, the massage oils, and that stuff. So now we see an email from Ghislaine Maxwell herself from the GMAX account talking about this very thing. Basically corroborating what Juan Alessi said previously. So, this gentleman from Quantico went through the whole entire uh, spiel about, you know, the computers, blah, 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 blah. And then we're back to sealing items. So, now exhibit number 418 is offered up, but it's offered up under seal. And that's pretty much it for the prosecution as far as uh, with this witness, the, the instructor from Quantico. Now, Laura Menninger, for the defense, begins her cross by asking several questions about uh, computer files and if he, the FBI agent, can say for sure if anything was changed or not during copying. And he admits that he can't, right? He didn't have possession of this computer all the time. He doesn't know what happened to it all the time. So what they're trying to do here is establish that there could have been somebody who could have messed with some files. Not a very strong defense, not a very strong strategy in my opinion, but that certainly looks to be what they're trying to set up. Um, They were also talking about locations and if they could determine where Maxwell uh, uh, was with the the emails, but with it uh, being uh, emails from a desktop computer, it would make uh, geolocation uh, a moot point. So there wasn't... uh, anything that they could gleam from that. And with that, that's it for this witness as well. Menninger releases this witness and the early morning of the uh, proceedings is wrapped up. Now, like I said, the majority of this was Carolyn, who is testifying under her first name and somebody who was allegedly abused by Maxwell and Epstein. So, Carolyn, next up on the stand, and the prosecution starts out asking some questions about her background, such as how long she went to school for, and she responds that uh, she dropped out, she was, school was done for her in seventh grade. She also goes on to discuss how her mother was an alcoholic. Now, remember, these are exactly the kind of 
situations that Maxwell and Epstein thrived upon, that they were always looking for. They were looking for somebody from a broken home or in a situation where they needed financial help or other help, and they can swoop in and offer that help, but only if you played their game, right? Only if you came back to the house for the massages, and only if you brought other girls, and nothing was given for free. And we know that it was their complete and utter M.O. How many of these girls were from disadvantaged backgrounds? How many of them came from parents who had drug addiction or parents who had money problems, working two jobs? And the sad reality is, folks, those are the people that are always preyed upon, preyed upon. They're the most vulnerable amongst us. And that is exactly where Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell like to focus their attention. When uh, she was asked how old she was when she was first introduced to Epstein, she replied that she was 14 and that someone named Sean introduced them. Uh, originally, she says she told Sean she was 17, but he found out her real age at her birthday party. Now think about that. She tells this dude he's 17, then at the birthday party he finds out she's 14. I mean, really bro, you're still hanging out with her? Really? She goes on to tell the court that it was this relationship with Sean that led to her meeting Virginia Roberts. According to Carolyn, she was introduced to Epstein to give him uh, massages so she could make some money. Now, there was a whole thing where Glenn Maxwell's legal team was throwing uh, Virginia's name around in this. And we're going to get to that uh, a little a little bit further down here. But it was quite transparent what they were trying to do. They were trying to set it up as if uh, Virginia Roberts was a human trafficker and not Glenn Maxwell. When in reality, it was Glenn Maxwell, according to all these reports at the top of the food chain here, giving the orders for this to occur, normalizing all of this, grooming all of them. Um, she goes on to say, uh, you know, she, she was a, had no education. She's from a broken home. She was in need of cash, and that's why she went to give Epstein those massages, right? 300 bucks is a lot of money when you have nothing. And to be able to get it multiple times a week? Carolyn goes on to tell the court about meeting Ghislaine for the first time and how she couldn't pronounce Maxwell's name, so she just called her by her last name. She said that Maxwell had shoulder-length black hair and an accent. Carolyn said that Maxwell took off her clothes and Carolyn left on her bra and underwear, she says. Carolyn then tells the court that after 45 minutes of giving Epstein a massage... He turned over, he, Epstein, and him and Virginia started to have sex. So we know from Virginia's depositions and we know from Virginia's reports that it, it several different accounts of it being a group type of thing where Epstein was sexually abusing her in a group environment and using that to normalize the process for the other uh, uh, victims. It was just an absolutely draconian method that this man had. 
And he used these young girls to bring other young girls into his web. And what he would try and do is give himself a bit of a buffer zone, right? Oh, well, I, I, was, I wasn't paying them for sex. I, you know, I was paying them to come over and give me a massage. And then he'd have several layers between himself and the actual payment, just like a, a criminal mob boss. So again, I ask you, how is it that Rico is not being used here? Prosecution then asked Carolyn, uh, Carolyn about payment and how much she would receive, and she said she received $300. She wasn't sure how much Virginia was given. She also stated that Maxwell asked her for her phone number. So, after this first time, obviously, Jeffrey Epstein was pleased and wanted to have Carolyn come back for more, air quotes, massages. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Carolyn, when asked about how many times she went to Epstein's, says that she went more than 100 times. At least two or three times a week from the time she was 14 until she was 18. She tells the court, when asked why she went to Epstein's, that $300 was a lot of money to a young girl. This is something that we have discussed a lot. And again, it is one of the easiest ways for these people with gigantic amounts of financial resources, a huge influence to groom these girls who come from nothing. And it's a process that is very, very, very effective, unfortunately. Uh, she recounts how when Maxwell would call, she would ask Carolyn if she'd be able to see them if they flew in. They also asked her about traveling and if she could go overseas with them. She says she told him that her mother would never allow it. When uh, she was asked if Maxwell knew her age, Carolyn responds, she did know. So, let's frame that. Maxwell's calling this 14-year-old girl to try and get her to go overseas on trips? For what possible reason could you want to bring this 14-year-old girl on your trips with you overseas? It is... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Debased and absolutely disgusting. The assistant U.S. attorney, uh, Pomerantz, continues. Uh, did, Ma did Maxwell touch you, she asks. To this, Carolyn responds with yes. When asked where on the body she was touched, she says her breasts. She says that Maxwell told her she had a great body for Epstein and his friends. And his friends, huh? Very interesting. Again, how is it that the prosecution is even talking about arresting this case? None of Jeffrey Epstein's friends are going to get caught up here. Nobody else. What about the co-conspirators? Sarah, Vic, uh, Sarah Vickers, uh, Sarah Kellen Vickers is going gonna, is gonna to skate here? It's gross. It's really gross. And it just, again, shows you that the justice system is completely broken, folks. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter which tribe is in office and telling you, you know, whatever sweet lies they feel like handing out. 
The fact of the matter is, nothing ever changes, and the most vulnerable amongst us, meaning all of us basically, compared to these people, continue to get absolutely squashed. Also, if it was just a massage, why would Maxwell even comment on her body type, right? Why would it matter what her body type is if she's getting a massage? It shouldn't matter one way or the other if she's big, small, anything in between. As long as she can give a good massage, right? But again, this is a 14-year-old girl who was obviously not brought over there for massages. Uh, she also details how Epstein would ask her questions about her upbringing. Again, trying to set those claws in, right? Now, this was a big one by prosecution, in my opinion. They asked Carolyn about payment and if Maxwell ever paid her. Carolyn stated that Maxwell handed her three $100 bills. So that establishes that Maxwell was paying her for these quote-unquote massages. And it also shows culpability, right? Shows that she was a conspirator, a co-conspirator. She knew that these girls were being abused according to their accounts. And not only did she stand by and do nothing, partake in some cases, but she was also the one paying the girls the money in some, uh, some accounts. So, again, it establishes big time that Ghislaine Maxwell was a pivotal uh, player in this whole entire thing. Carolyn continued to talk about Epstein and how he sent her gifts like concert tickets, lingerie, probably Victoria's Secret, and a Massage for Dummies book. Now, we heard about the Massage for Dummies book, at least a copy of it before, from one of the previous raids. So this must have been a book that they were sending out all the time to try and get these little girls hip to how to give a proper massage. Again, it creeps me out even saying that. These people have all the money in the world. Why in the hell would these clowns be trying to get massages from these young little girls if it wasn't for the purposes of assaulting them? No other excuse no other reason is logical or makes sense you don't bring a 14 year old girl over with no massage therapy experience to work the kinks out carolyn was also asked by the prosecution if she ever brought other friends to epstein's for massages and she says she brought three amanda l who was uh, a year older than her and then tatum and julie who were younger she says she made 600 and the others made 300. So that was another shtick of Epstein's and Maxwell's. And that's why some people call it a sexual Ponzi scheme, right? A sexual assault Ponzi scheme. He would get these one girl involved in his uh, uh, abuse and then he would set her out by giving her money to bring other girls in. And at the same time, the process was normalized because the original girl who was groomed and brought into the circle is telling these other girls how, oh, this is just normal. You want to make a few hundred bucks? Just got to give them a massage. So these other girls come in and they think this is normal behavior. And you see how it all works, right? And it's disgusting. And in Palm Beach, we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of allegations like this. In what was uh, probably a preemptive move, considering the prosecution knew that the defense was going to try and punch holes in Carolyn, they uh, talk about her drug addiction. 
and what she spent the money on. And she said she spent her money on drugs. She also talks about giving birth. And when asked if she went back to Epstein, she says she did and even went while she was pregnant. So, uh, again, it just sh- it shows you the, the absolute hooks that these people put in to these young girls. And we're not talking about, you know, any gray area here. Okay, this was a 14-year-old girl when she first came into Epstein's sphere. There's no excuse for it. There's no defense for it. The prosecution also asked her about jail time she did uh, over pawning a video game console. And she says she did she did time, but then she went to drug treatment and therapy. And she is currently on medication to help her with her drug addictions. Um, one of those drugs is methadone. So obviously she had an opiate, uh, an opiate addiction. And this is very common, folks, for people who suffer this kind of trauma. You're trying to run from it, trying to hide from it, trying to get away from yourself. So what, what's the easiest way to do that, right? Drugs. So you'll see a lot of these girls who have unfortunately been caught up with Maxwell and Epstein and people like them turn to drugs. And it's just a, a whole bad scene that follows it. Asking about the Xbox issue and the father of her child, uh, Sean, she says that she has not been in touch with him since her arrest. She has also asked if she works or has ever worked for an escort service, to which she answers sometimes. When asked what Maxwell did to her, she tells the court she took pictures of her naked and, of course, the other stuff with Epstein. And the prosecution uh, presses the issue and asks who decided who you would sue, to which the defense objects. Judge Nathan sustains their objection. So again, setting it up because they know the prosec- I mean, the uh, defense is going to come hard after her character. So they wanted it to get it out there in uh, open court that she A, had a drug problem, B, did time, and C, worked as an escort after all of this occurred. But that really doesn't matter in the long run, does it? Or in the big picture. The trauma that she suffered at 14 years old obviously led her down this road. So how can you uh, uh, begin to assail her and assault her for her life choices and for the things that have happened after she was abused by Jeffrey Epstein and allegedly Maxwell? It is ridiculous. Now, of course, it's the it's the, the place of the defense to try and do that. But I really hope that the jury's paying attention to what's going on here. So that's the end of it for the prosecution with um, Carolyn. And they hand her over to the defense for the cross-examination. I mean, for the, uh, de- yeah, the defense for cross-exam. The defense asks if Sean was a friend of Virginia Roberts' boyfriend, Tony, and if they smoked pot and drank booze together. Carolyn answered that they didn't drink booze. So obviously, Sean and Tony were friends and they smoked pot. Just like, I don't know, everybody you know at this point. I mean, really, who doesn't smoke pot? And to to act like smoking pot or drinking booze or anything like that makes you not credible when it comes to something like being assaulted is just bananas land for me. I can't wrap my head around anything like that. And if I was ever on a jury and somebody tried to infer that, I, I would definitely be thinking 
that they don't have much else to go on, right? Well, I'm going to need some evidence. Uh, She was asked if it was Virginia who told her that she could make $300, and she answered no. What uh, what uh, Pagliucci is doing here is he's trying to uh, attempt to set the tone that Virginia was the trafficker, not Maxwell. And he asked if Maxwell was there when she, she was approached about making $500. And Carolyn says no. Maxwell was not there. It was her, just her in Virginia. Again, Maxwell states a name in court that they shouldn't, this time using Carolyn's last name. So it's become a pattern now, right? Almost to the point where you have to ask yourself, are they attempting to dox these witnesses? Because... They shouldn't be mentioning their names, okay? They shouldn't be mentioning last names. If these girls are testifying anonymously, then that's the way it should be kept. But the scumbaggery that's uh, being shown here by uh, Maxwell's lawyers, it's you get what you pay for, right? When you're paying for this kind of money, these guys are going, and ladies, are going to push the envelope. And that's exactly what they're doing. So... After all of that nonsense and and Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers once again acting the fool, Judge Nathan calls for a lunch break. After they're done with the lunch break, the cross-examination begins in earnest and the defense begins by asking her about the FBI notes from her 2017 interview. Now, it's interesting because the the, the interviews that you have with the FBI, those aren't, you know, uh, the, the word of law. Right. They're not the FBI isn't taking those not those notes word for word. Those are notes. So I don't think that the defense bringing that up is going to help them in the long run here. I think it's kind of a moot point and kind of a spinning of their wheels tactic. Now, I know I said I'm not confident really in the federal government, but I haven't seen much from Ghislaine Maxwell as far as evidence proving that she's uh, innocent here either. So it is going to be very interesting. Uh, the, de- the, de- the defense says the FBI notes say that the woman had an unknown accent to th- and to this, Carolyn disagrees. She says that she told them that the woman had an accent. Uh, uh, Pag- uh, Pagliucci continues that she knew what a British accent was, but she said unknown. And once again, he was implying that she's a liar. Asking about the second time that she went to Epstein's house. Uh, he says, so for the second visit, you sat in the kitchen and spoke with the chef. Now I'm guessing the time frame um, lines up here and that that chef was Adam Perry Lang. So it definitely looks like that is the case as far as the timelines are concerned. But that wasn't mentioned in court or anything like that. Carolyn responds that she isn't sure if uh, that was her second visit or if it was sometime after that. And at this point, the defense calls for the court to show the witness what she said in 2007. So again, back to the FBI notes, which would signal to me that they don't have much else to go on here, right? So it's one of those interesting situations where I'm certainly not confident in what we have seen as far as the prosecution's performance, but at the same time, I haven't seen a defense here that would get Maxwell off, at least in my opinion. Uh, Carolyn tells the defense that the FBI didn't ask her about Maxwell. 
Pagliuccia presses by asking her if she is saying the FBI put a gag on what she could say. And she responds again that she, she wasn't asked by, about Maxwell. And to this, the defense responds by stating that she told F, the FBI about Sarah Kellen Vickers, or just Sarah, and the incubus tickets from Epstein. And then Carolyn said that she responds yes to this. So he is asking her um, about the, the whole entire gag here on what she could or couldn't say. And she says that there was no gag and that when they pressed about the, the email with um, Maxwell about Sarah Kellen Vickers, that it was uh, factual that she did get these incubus tickets from Epstein. So again, it, it's more gifts, right? And what the defense is trying to do here is point out that it was Sarah Kellen Vickers and that it was Jeffrey Epstein. It was everybody but Ghislaine Maxwell. That's what the defense is trying to point out right here. The defense also probes Carolyn about her move from Florida to Georgia, and they ask her about the lawsuits that she filed. Carolyn cuts them off and asks what they have to do about what those have to do with her moving to Georgia. Um, again, it's uh, one of those things where if you're a witness on the stand, you have to get frustrated, right? When you're getting peppered by the defense here like this. So she is being absolutely hammered. He's talking about um, why she moved from Georgia to Florida. And he is basically saying that it was because she had to go get clean. And she says that the, the reason she was leaving is to escape from the trauma. So right after this, again, Maxwell calls for uh, another break, the afternoon break at this point. Coming back from um, the, the return, uh, now Maureen Comey asks how long the defense expects this cross-examination to go on for, and there's no, re no response to the question. So the defense starts right in again and they question Carolyn and this time asking her if she ever remembered using drugs when she was 13. Carolyn says that if you consider pot a drug, then yes. So again, you see it, folks, and it's the story, right, of the defense. Their job is to, con to try and continue to destroy the credibility and it seems to me anyway that all they have to go on as far as credibility issues to destroy is the fact that this girl might have smoked some pot or she might have hung out with some boys or something like that. I, it's ridiculous. The defense then tries to leave the witness stating that she went to Georgia to get clean, but Carolyn says that that wasn't the reason. She says she went there uh, to escape her past trauma and the witness uh, was asked if she was doing cocaine when she was at Epstein's house, and she responded no to that. The defense then refers to previous lawsuits and reads, Did you have sexual intercourse with Mr. Epstein? Defense reads the answer, no. Carolyn speaks up during this and replies that she wasn't a willing participant. So they were reading from those 
um, doc, the, the, the documents, right? The 302s that the FBI provided. And the defense reads, uh, the, reads it. Did you have sexual intercourse with Mr. Epstein? And then the answer that Carolyn provided, no. Now, in the middle of this, she stops the defense attorney. And she says that she wasn't a willing participant. That's why she said she didn't have sexual intercourse with Epstein. Because she didn't. She was raped by him. So it wasn't intercourse. She goes on to say that Maxwell, uh, that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell fondled me and broke my soul. And at this point, the defense moves to get the comments struck from the record. And Judge Nathan, after advising the witness to follow the rules, orders the jury to disregard that comment. She is had enough, right? And you could you could tell by at least just by the the notes that we had coming out because remember, folks, this is just uh, an accumulation of different courtroom tweets and notes that are coming out as the trial's going on. But you could tell that she had had enough during this cross-examination. And there were several times here where she uh, went off off of the uh, playbook and said stuff like that. Ghislaine Maxwell fondled me and broke my soul. Can you imagine what this girl went through in her life? Uh, again, the defense is probing about money received from the compensation fund. And Carolyn again goes off of the script. And she says that no amount of money can heal her. And as she's saying this, she's cut off by the defense, who once again moved to strike the witness comment from the record. And once again, Judge Nathan agrees. She orders the jury to disregard the comment. And she again instructs the witness to follow the rules. Carolyn's crying now. And the defense asks if she claimed to have seen a picture of Maxwell pregnant. And she responds she did, nude and pregnant. And she goes to continue her response, but the defense cuts her off at this point, stating that they have no further questions. With a few minutes left, Maureen Comey asks if uh, if Caroline, uh, Carolyn is here to get money, and she responds no. She is here because what Maxwell did is wrong. Again, the defense objects. The state ends it. They have no further questions for the witness, but Pagliuccia is not finished yet. He asked her about the money she received in 2009, but the money was gone by 2012. And this was $446,000. He asked her what happened to it. She says she doesn't know. She has kids to take care of. The defense with their ham-handed approach continues. You can't recall how you spent $446,000? You lost all of it? No further questions. And with that, folks, day number seven comes to a close in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. There sure is a lot to unpack today. And I'm sure as the day goes on and we get more information about the uh, prosecution arresting their case as soon as this week, then maybe we'll have more clarity. But as of right now, I don't even know what to say about the, the, the prosecution preparing to arrest its case. Now, as far as the testimony given today, I thought that it was pretty powerful testimony. It certainly um, sets the foundational blocks we've been talking about, and it continues to connect the dots. So we'll see what tomorrow morning brings. But one thing I can tell you is it's going to be interesting. 
All right, everybody. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that at bobbycapucci at protonmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-C-A-P-U-C-C-I at protonmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at B-O-B-B-Y underscore C-A-P-U-C-C-I. The links that we discussed can be found in the description box.